Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. It's springtime, and it's Muppet time. Enjoy this episode of the Bowery Boys Movie Club, looking at New York through the lens of the 1984 musical comedy, The Muppets Take Manhattan. The Bowery Boys Movie Club is a show about New York City and the movies that we record for those who support us on Patreon.com. And in fact, our patrons have already heard this show when we released it back in April of last year. And patrons, check your feeds today, because a brand new episode of the Bowery Boys Movie Club is now available. And it's a film that was chosen by our patrons, the 1988 comedy Coming to America, starring Eddie Murphy. If you'd like to check out that show, head on over to patreon.com slash Boys and support the show at any level. And we thank you for your support. But now it's time for a little mayhem. Enjoy our adventures with the Muppets. The Bowery Boys Movie Club presents Fozzie Bear, Miss Piggy, and Kermit the Frog in <laughs> The Muppets Take Manhattan. Hi there. Welcome to the Bowery Boys Movie Club. This is Greg Young. And this is Tom Myers. Um, not Fozzie Bear. No. Or Miss Piggy. Or even Kermit, no. We are so happy to be diving into the backstory, the New York story uh, behind The Muppets Take Manhattan, the third Muppet movie ever made, right, Craig? Um, That's correct. This, of course, features the Muppet troupe of puppets created by Jim Henson. The Muppets themselves first debuted on Sesame Street in 1969. But this movie, Tom, is really a spinoff of The Muppet Show, mm-hmm. which debuted in September of 1976. And then that spawned, as you inferred, two films, The Muppet Movie in 1979 and The Great Muppet Caper in 1981. So this is indeed the third film. And Muppets Take Manhattan is 84. Yes. By which time The Muppet Show was no longer on the air. They had become big movie stars by this point. (laughs) Now, what I love about this movie, there's many things, as you're about to hear. One of them is that it's directed by Frank Oz, Mm -hmm. who actually does many of the voices of the Muppets. Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear. He even does Cookie Monster on, on Sesame Street. Although, probably his most famous character isn't a Muppet at all. Can you guess who that is, Tom? 
Hold on, you just put me on the spot. Is it a is it a puppet though? It is a puppet. Is it a puppet that's on on Sesame Street? No. Oh, wait. What puppet is not Frank Oz? Is it like a science fiction thing? Yes. Getting closer. Closer (laughs) you get. Is it Alf? (laughs) No. (laughs) Is it E.T.? Yoda. Oh. (laughs) From the Star Wars movies. I'm going to contest that assumption, Greg. I'm, I'm sorry, but Yoda... From my difficulty divining where you were going with that. No, I I don't think that Yoda... We'll hear from some people. By the way, he didn't just do voices. He also... He was a puppeteer in his own right. This this was the second movie that he directed. The first, also with puppetry, uh, was The Dark Crystal. So between The Dark Crystal and The Muppets Take Manhattan, this launches really an impressive directorial career. Although featuring mostly humans, he he went on to direct such films as Little Shop of Horrors, which of course has one big non-human in it, uh, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, In and Out, Bowfinger, and The Score, which starred Robert De Niro and that big cuddly Fozzie Bear himself, Marlon Brando. (laughs) Ridiculous. But yeah, what a career. Frank also brought so much joy to our childhood, of course, as did songwriter Jeff Moss, who wrote the music for this movie, The Muppets Take Manhattan. But he wrote so many other Sesame Street classics. And now now that you have a son, Tom, I bet these are songs that you may have heard. Songs like Rubber Ducky and We Are the People in the Neighborhood. Man, yes, all the time. Although I'm... (laughs) There are many new, as I've learned, there are many new Sesame Street classics as well, you know. (laughs) At some point, I'll have to um, introduce you to Big Bird's showstopper called Cooperation. Um, It really is like something that could be on Broadway. Well, actually, this reminds me. I would like to actually know what your particular experiences are with this movie or maybe with Muppet movies in general. Yeah, well, I definitely remember seeing every... Muppet movie as they came out, you know, at the Cineplex in Sandusky, Ohio. And this one was especially glamorous. I think that by this point, I kind of was thinking that I wanted to live in either New York or Los Angeles, you know, like Mm -hmm. I I wanted to go coastal. (laughs) And uh, I and so there was something about this movie. And we'll get to it later in the show. But when they I remember the Muppets like chorus lining their way out in sparkly sequined besequined outfits and thinking like uh-huh. that's where I want to go. Yeah, so I think that this was I think it was instrumental. And you? Well, I I can't remember if I saw it in the theater, but what I do know, what I am like what's etched in my memory is that all of the McDonald's Happy Meal toys and collectible glasses I had for all of the Muppet movies and we had them growing up as kids. And I should also add, I was really into Janice, just as a Muppet, my favorite Muppet, Mm -hmm. because she was like, she was just a sort of supporting player. And she only has like three or four lines in every movie, but they're always my favorites. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. then there's also the question, which we'll, I'm sure, talk about in a second. There is a cameo by Sesame Street in this. So I think that I, you know, there's a confusion when you see Sesame Street characters show up in a Muppet production. <laughs> oh, there is. You yeah, know? it's like, yeah, well, it's like the the Muppets live in an adult world and Sesame Street in a kid's world. But in fact, Kermit himself bridges both worlds. 
It's kind of like today when you have Marvel Comics movies, when you have all the characters just pop into each other's movies to the point that it's just one large movie. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of Muppets Take Manhattan is a bit like Avengers Endgame, which is a movie you haven't seen, but it's essentially where all like all like the entire umbrella mm-hmm. of creations are in or like in one movie. And in fact, in this movie, all unite at the end for one common goal. Now in Endgame it's to destroy the bad guy but in this one it's a very different kind of end game which to we'll put get on a to. show yeah um <laughs> it, it's like all of the muppets from the henson verse oh so by the way tom before we get started shall i mention the box office oh do yes how did movie? it do well so this movie came out on july 13th 1984 it's from tristar pictures i cannot wait to go back into the movie theaters and and for a summer blockbuster release. We may not get much of those this year, but this was a summer a summer movie. It was the 31st biggest film of the year. So it was oh, a middling that success. Sound, yeah, that doesn't sound good. No, it made $25.5 million, which doesn't sound big, but keep in mind it was a you know, it was a cross-the-country release, and the number of theaters it played in at maximum was just 1200 theaters the world was very different back then so Mm. it was considered kind of to be like a modest hit actually the top movies of 1984 well there's one that we have spoken about of course on the movie club the number one movie that year was ghostbusters number two indiana jones the temple of doom and number three gremlins okay those are some big smash hits so <laughs> yes. that's a lot of competition for Kermie and Miss Piggy, you know? And in fact, in the, on the week it came out, on, from July 13th to July 19th, that first week, it was sharing the multiplexes, Tom, with Ghostbusters and Gremlins. They had come out. But also The Last Starfighter, Karate Kid, and Bachelor Party. <laughs> the Steve <laughs> Gutenberg vehicle? No, to- no, Tom Hanks. Oh, Sorry. Tom, Tom yeah, like Tom, Tom Hanks, Hanks in like one of his one of his first film roles. So, so oh, that's one of the kind of baby faced. So a middling success. Was it nominated for anything? Yes, it was nominated for one Academy Award <laughs> for a category which no longer exists. Best puppets. What? No, original song score. So this being the mid eighties, there were like a lot of movies that they didn't just have orchestral scores. They had like a whole soundtrack of new pop songs, right? Right. So this was, this happened. There was a lot of movies that had this. So they created a category and the nominees that were, there were three nominees. Here were the nominees. Chris Christopherson for the film Songwriter. Jeff Moss for the film Muppets Take Manhattan. And Prince for Purple Rain. (laughs) (laughs) So guess which one? (laughs) I, I, I'm pretty sure that Prince walked home with the award. So a, a soundtrack which featured the song Darling Nikki, one of the dirtiest songs I have ever heard, at least when I was younger, competed against and then beat a, a, sound, a score that had the song Together Again. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be together again. Anyway, so that's just a funny yeah. little quirk I of have pop to say, culture history. But which is the catchier tune, Greg? Which is the catchier tune? I, well, I think Purple Rain is a pretty <laughs> catchy tune. Okay. 
Moving on. Why don't we let's let's get the story started here, Tom? Yeah. Well, speaking of together again, well, the movie, The Muppets Take Manhattan, the opening shot, okay, is like a scan over Midtown. We're way up high over Midtown. We're looking down onto the Empire State Building in, in the center frame, and there's some kind of bouncy piano music going, and it it actually we find out it's. Kermit doing a little, like, scatting, you know? So it's a little jazzy number. Meanwhile, we're scanning over Midtown. Then we go out. We start going out through bridges um, and through some tunnels. We're off in the suburbs, and we're heading off to Danhurst College, a college town off in the leafy suburbs where we come down to a sign in front of a college hall that is reading... Tonight only, Manhattan Melodies. And there we are with the Muppets singing that very song that you were just uh, singing for us, Together Again. Miss Piggy joined by Fozzie, etc. Together again. Gee, it's good to be together again. I just can't imagine that you've ever been gone. It's not starting over, it's just going on. Together again. I'm sorry, what I like about this with this intro is that it's we know that the movie's going to end up in Manhattan, so the film is showing us like a kind of like debuting Manhattan into the movie. But really what they're showing us is what the Muppets are giving in the medium of song this audience at Danhurst College, for they are indeed singing melodies about Manhattan. That's right. And this is a musical, right? A musical starts the movie and will end the movie. This is bookended Mm -hmm. by uh, the Muppets performing on a stage in front of rapturous applause. And <laughs> I mean, this uh, this audience is... I have never seen such an enthusiastic audience they in my life. They cannot get enough of them. And again, it's funny because they're also playing for a, a, a movie audience, a Cineplex audience, Greg, that is happy to see them together again, right? For their third Muppet movie. So... There we are. There's a curtain call. Um, wild applause. You, you're kind of wondering why the crowd is so enthusiastic, you know? <laughs> like, are they all drunk or on drugs at Danhurst? What's happening at Danhurst College? Which, by the way, we should add that it's actually Vassar. They filmed this at Vassar College, but, yeah. so it's not really Danhurst. I also wanted to add that the sh- name of the show, Manhattan Melodies, mm-hmm. which is the show that they're going to take to Broadway, was actually the name, Tom, of a successful New York radio show from 1932, broadcast channel WOR from Times Square. Oh, fabulous. So I feel like they probably knew that, and so they brought that name into this. So it's, You know that it's, the Jim Henson people knew that fact. Yeah, they I mean they. Some of them probably grew up listening to it. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. So, well, so so, yeah. so the Muppets are backstage. They're like looking at each other, going, "I can't believe they loved us so much." And Kermit goes out and says, "Oh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure." Uh, and and we worked very hard to make this the best senior variety show ever. So we find <laughs> out that they are. This is where you have to suspend your disbelief. The the gaggle of Muppets we've just seen perform are seniors at Danhurst. They're all the same age. As the people in the audience. 
who are their <laughs> contemporaries, but they're human, right? And they're going nuts. And a guy screams out, next time we'll see you on Broadway, right? And then the whole audience goes wild. The, the seed has been planted. This show has to go to Broadway. They're all enthusiastic to go to Broadway. Like, Piggy's like, Broadway? Scooter's like, this could be our future. And then Animal, who has, of course, chased a woman around the auditorium as the audience laughs, he goes, Broadway, Broadway, Broadway. Kermit then says, let's go to Broadway. And then they scream. Okay, so that's the opening number. Basically, we get the whole setup for the show. And in the next scene, we just cut to the Muppets walking into Port Authority. They've just gotten off their bus and they look around and it's like, well, let's find a place to stay. And hilariously, they just head over to the Port Authority lockers. Yeah, the the context for this, which is, it's not that much different from today, but like in the early 1980s, like, so they're coming in, they're coming to Port Authority. It is considered one of the most crime infested areas of all of New York, a marketplace for prostitution and crack dealers. And then here we have Animal in his I Love New York t-shirt. I mean, there's, what's interesting is just, there's a... There's a kind of subtext to all of this because New York has a very bad reputation Mm -hmm. for many people throughout the country. And that is seen through the edges and a lot of the kind of cynical adults that we'll see. The Muppets embody kind of a pure love of New York City. And in fact, Animal is even wearing an I Love New York shirt. And what we should add that the, the Muppets themselves are native New Yorkers. I mean, they come from Manhattan. The real, <laughs> yes. the real Muppets, as in like the furry things you stick your hands into, the puppets. So there's <laughs> another level of irony, not irony, but it is kind of like native New Yorkers playing yokels who are coming to New York to seek their fortune. So anyway, so they get their lockers where they're going to stay for, you know, for the, most of the movie. Of course, Janice is like, I'll trade with anyone who has a jacuzzi. <laughs> <laughs> That's your favorite line. Yeah, they're actually, they're in three rows of lockers. The top is occupied by Dr. Teeth, Animal, Janice, and another musician. The middle row is Miss Piggy, Kermit, and Rolf. And the bottom row is the sax dude, Fozzie, Gonzo, with a chicken, Camilla, and Scooter. Okay, so that's all of them. Just to give you, a like, the cast, the general cast, they all fit in their own lockers. And the, yeah, and it's kind of a little bit reminiscent of the Muppet Show itself, which had like this sort of stacked boxes and, you know, oh, in the yeah. intro, you know, a little bit. That kind of was what reminded me of. Anyway. The next day they get a newspaper with the listing of Broadway producers and head straight off, um, you know, back in the days when the newspapers would list Broadway producers. And they head straight off to Martin Price Productions. That office, by the way, Tom, is in the famous Paramount building. Yes. Which, of course, is still there in Times Square. The Paramount famous Lasky Corporation building, which was constructed in 1926 in the heart of the Jazz Age. This was the center of Broadway theater wheeling and dealing. This is where you went, okay? So this is where struggling writers and future stars all collected into this building and all of their agents were there and all the producers were there. And so it makes sense that this ragtag group of Muppets would show up there. They had barge into Martin Price's office and a secretary tries to stop them. 
Right. Now, the secretary, uh, for those, this is one of our first star cameos. This is a woman named Gates McFadden, who would become better known just a few years later for playing Dr. Beverly Crusher on Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh. (laughs) Um, Her her boss, you know, they start pitching the musical to her. She's, like, trying to stop them. Her boss calls to see what's happening, and she says, it's just a frog with a musical, Mr. Price. And we hear, send him in. And so, anyway, he goes in. Mr. Price is hilarious. He actually is ready to produce their show. Yes. The wonderful Dabney Coleman here, just giving his all here. <laughs> Doing his thing. I smell a hit. Right. He, he's going to sign up the show, but there's a catch. Yeah. Well, he says, this is great. I just need $300 from each of you. So, obviously, we see that they are getting scammed hard. They look around at each other like, oh, no. Just in time, of course, the police barge in with the little old lady who he's already scammed. And he decides to, is this where you mean he gives it his all? Because he tries, <laughs> yes, he doesn't right. just run for his life. He grabs Camilla, the chicken. There's a madcap scene uh, involving Camilla. Uh, Gonzo is injured at some point. You know, it all works out okay. He's arrested. But the Muppets have suddenly learned a lesson on their first day in New York. It's a city of hard knocks, but they are still determined to produce their show. Yeah, so you get a little montage of them like walking around trying to find an agent, and we see some scenes of the of them walking by the Rose, Roosevelt Hotel, for instance. We see them in Central Park looking through a variety. By the way, there was a like a calendar flip during this scene right here mm-hmm. um, where we realize that the year is actually 1982. So it's, oh. so it's released in 1984, but it's set in 1982. Wow. That is some detailed watching, Greg. That calendar flip happened during a montage when they're singing the song, You Can't Take No for an Answer. Mm-hmm. Not my favorite song, but it certainly serves a purpose, you know, to show how determined they are as they go. It is literally that montage of them singing as they knock on producers' doors. I mean, we've seen it in like 50 different shows. And the days flip by, and that also serves to show us that they have been knocking on doors all of June, all of July, all of August, and now we're in September, and they're still sleeping at the Port Authority. Yeah, they have been hoofing it, in, in some cases, literally hoofing it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so how are they going to get money even to just stay there anymore? So They don't even have they, money to eat. They're walking around and happen to find themselves down in the Lower West Village, or I guess today we call that around there, Hudson Square, mm-hmm. basically Varick Street between Downing and West Houston, okay? It's a beautiful scene to freeze frame, especially if you're familiar with that area. Um, you can see the subway entrance, which is still there. You can see the Graphic Arts Center building, which, which is there, and that's the building that has the film forum in it, but you don't see the film forum mm-hmm. in, the, in the movie. But that that should give you ex- a specific uh, place. And, of course, as they're walking, what should be there at a corner but a place called Pete's Luncheonette. Yeah, and they are hungry. They only have, they don't even have any money to eat. But they head in, and they just decide to kind of let Kermit see if he can work his magic. Their their waiter is Rizzo the Rat. Okay, it turns out that this rat is the only waiter in the whole place um, because Jenny, Pete, the owner's daughter, is off trying to get into fashion design yeah. school. So. They order, but they admit that they don't have any money. They talk to the kind-hearted 
and rather confusing or difficult to understand Pete, the owner, who is probably going to end up giving him some soup anyhow. Some Yankee bean soup, yes. Yes. So we're happy that they've made it there. Now, meanwhile, they're only going to be fed because Pete's daughter, Jenny, who's the other waitress, comes in. Basically, Kermit sweet talks Jenny into letting them all have soup, you know, on the house because they've just they're trying to put on a show. And Miss Piggy is watching Kermit work his little frog magic on Jenny, who, by the way, is a human. So we see we see a lot of things happening here. Before we proceed, two things I two things I just wanted to note that in terms of rats in restaurants, their reputation would be re- rehabilitated many many years later in the successful Pixar film Ratatouille, but here they're just a bunch of kind of like no good rats, right? And number two, today of course that luncheonette is not there anymore, but you could still go in and eat, and possibly find a rat there today. It is a McDonald's. But long story short, they eat their soup, and they realize after months and months of going around, you know what, maybe this isn't in the cards for them. New York isn't going to work for them. Like, who hasn't felt that feeling, you know? And so the Muppets decide when Kermit's off trying to score them soup, they're going to let everything just kind of like take its own course. They're, they're going to leave Kermit alone. He's gotten cross with them because he's feeling dejected, He's had all this stress on his shoulders. So the, he comes back, they all get their food, and they all say, Kermit, it's time for us to break up. So the band is breaking up, basically. Mm-hmm. The show's breaking up at the very beginning of the movie, and there's this sad song saying goodbye. Another montage of all of the Muppets going in their various directions, leaving New York, all of them except Kermit. Yeah, Piggy, in fact, takes a very romantic train ride out of Hoboken Terminal, Mm-hmm. On a Thomas Edison, one of his 1930s electric train cars. But that's to kind of evoke a kind of romantic movie trope. Classic. Here. Yes. Yes. And we, we see like Scooter and Weehawken and Fozzie's a hobo on the train. But anyway, so they're all gone. We have just Kermit walking the streets at night in shadow, dejected. He looks up and there's the Empire State Building. And so he decides to go up to the observation deck. Yes. And he looks over at all of Midtown and says to himself, look at all those people out there. Lots of people, but my friends are all gone. I'm going to get them back. The show's not dead as long as I believe in it. I'm going to sell that show and we're going to be on Broadway. And then we pull back. It's kind of fabulous. Do you hear me, New York? We're going to be on Broadway. And Kermit is like screaming from the observation deck down over Midtown Manhattan. Mm-hmm. I find it very. There's something relatable about that, you know, moment of like, <laughs> I'm going. I'm still gonna do this. I'm gonna conquer the city. It's the purity of the purity of dreams when you first move to New York before you're jaded. <laughs> this is, you know, we've had this moment. And all the way from down on the sidewalk, we hear this voice saying, "I'm not giving up." You hear that, New York? The frog is staying. More Muppets, more puppets, more pandemonium after the commercial break. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises... 
you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. And internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. So, while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement. While another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next-generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. So Kermit goes back to Pete's. He does get a job. He starts, you know, cleaning the dishes, making, making ends meet here. And he reveals that he actually has a plan. Okay, so he's now a frog with a plan. And the first part of his plan is if you can't beat him, join him. Okay, mm-hmm. cut to the exterior of some glassy office tower where Kermit is hopping out of an elevator at the Winesop Theatrical Agency and he is dressed as this swinging bi-coastal hotshot with an open lapel, an afro, okay, <laughs> <Yes>. sunglasses, <laughs> and a white ascot. And he approaches the secretary. This movie is just blessed with so many wonderful secretaries, by the way. Mm-hmm. This one is played by Frances Bergen, mother of Candace Bergen, and the wife, I didn't realize this until I looked into it, of Edgar Bergen, the ventriloquist. Uh, he's But Kermit Sweet talks his way past her, saying, I love what you've done with your hair. Don't ever touch it. And goes into Lenny's office yeah. and does a hilarious routine. Boffo Lenny, Socko Lenny. <laughs> yes. I just flew in from the coast, Lenny. I'll have my people call your people. We'll have lunch. Whoops, I think I hear my beeper. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, it doesn't really work. He throws away the script. So yes. we are we next are at the Plaza Hotel in the Grand Army Plaza, right in front of the plaza, up mm-hmm. there at Fifth Avenue and 59th Street. Shot on location, clearly. Oh, yes. Now, the interesting thing, it's a very quick shot, but you will see, of course, Statler and Waldorf are there sunning themselves. They're for two some old guys reason. from The Muppet Show. Yes, and so they, they make occasional pop-ins cameos throughout this movie, but what's interesting is their names are from New York City, classic New York City hotels. The Statler and the Waldorf Astoria. The Statler, which would become the Pennsylvania. The Hotel Pennsylvania. By the way, I didn't, I didn't, I'm, I don't remember Waldorf having a wife, but apparently he does, and her name is Astoria. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she she was in an episode of the Muppet Show. But anyway, we're at the Plaza because Kermit is here with Jenny, and Jenny's kind of consoling him. He's kind of sad. Piggy has come back to the city because, of course, she is in love with Kermit and wants to marry him. She is in disguise, and 
happens to be all of a sudden harassed by some construction workers in a very kind of pre-Me Too scene. Yes, yes, this would not... Uh, Piggy, Piggy would turn around today and karate chop these men. Well, she does bend still and scream, and she, they kind of back away. I mean, she does That's exhibit true. some force. She is a strong She is a strong pig woman. Yes, but she is clearly misunderstanding what she's seen. She's spying on Kermit and Jenny, and she thinks that they're in love. Meanwhile, then, we realize it's been her lunch break, and she runs back into Bergdorf's, where she's working at the perfume counter, selling perfume alongside Joan Rivers. She's in all of her Joan Rivers gl- glory of like a little bit too much makeup, big hair, and just sassy personality. Joan says, something happened to you at lunch. My frog turned on me. Yeah, I had some bad tuna myself. <laughs> so, what a Rivers gag. She's anyway. trying to get Miss Piggy all kind of like dolled up. And so she gives her a really bad makeover, and which turns into some kind of like brawl with a powder puff. And they both get and fired. They get fired. Yeah. And that's the last we see of, of Miss Rivers, unfortunately. The next, we'll see her next in Spaceballs, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we don't really see her in that, but we hear no. her. So... Back at Pete's, the rats have taken over the restaurant. There's like a rat skate, like skating on butter on a hot griddle, <laughs> etc. <laughs> Swimming in coffee. Yeah, yes. they, they, they've just gone mad in the kitchen. But meanwhile, then there's a whole thing. The, the Muppets, you know, they're scattered around the, the country and they start sending in postcards from where they are. So Scooter sends a postcard to Kermit from Cleveland where he's um, handing out 3D glasses in a movie theater which is kind of a fabulous scene. Life is great in Ohio, he says. Fozzie, meanwhile, is, sends a postcard from Maine where he's hi- hibernating, <laughs> which is pretty yeah. funny. He says, how do they do it? I've been trying to sleep for days. You know, they're, they're all basically failing where, wherever they are. Uh, Dr. Teeth and the band are outside of Pittsburgh. Yeah, J- uh, Janice is actually playing a glockenspiel. <laughs> <laughs> And and Piggy, where's Piggy? She's actually spying on them from across the street. She has we yeah, we yeah. realize that she has rented an apartment directly across from Pete's, and so every once in a while we like see these little like these hands, these gloves holding onto binoculars from from a window high above. Well, so anyway, so Kermit's now on another one of his costume adventures to try to kind of get some uh, some exposure and interest into producing his musical. So he now heads to Sardi's restaurant, which has been inextricably linked to Broadway industry since it was opened in 1927. So it's a good place for him to go. He's dressed up in an outfit, clearly looking like some kind of very flamboyant director, right? Yeah, um, he's amazing, but he's there to uh, implement the second phase of his strategy, which he's calling his whisper campaign. So he walks in yeah, wearing this ascot, a very smart coat, black hat, French mustache, and he's swaggering like he owns the place. And nobody really takes notice of him. Uh, The server tries to take his coat, but no. Kermit heads to his table, sits down in the middle of the dining room, and lets five of the rats from Pete's out underneath his table. And then he takes out a caricature of himself and looks up and says, now where to put it? And above him are the portraits of Woody Allen and Liza Minnelli and others. So it's clear that he's going to replace one of those on the wall with his own caricature. 
for the Whisper campaign. We we find out his Whisper campaign is just the rats going underneath people's tables and whispering. Isn't that Kermit the Frog, the big producer, creator of Manhattan Melodies? So he's getting the the rats are getting people to whisper about Kermit. <laughs> and meanwhile, Liza then walks in, looks where her caricature is supposed to be hanging over Kermit and sees that it's not there. In fact, Kermit's there. And she she calls out to um, Vincent Sardi. Vincent Sardi Jr. is it also is a cameo in this movie. The Vincent Sardi. She calls him over. And she is not pleased that she's been replaced by a frog. Did I do something wrong, Vincent? A frog. <laughs> By the way, Kermit's picture is still at Sardi's today. It's in a different place since he's not, he didn't earn it the same way as the other icons and luminaries on the wall. Yeah, so th- then the rats pa- pop out from under the table. All m- madness breaks loose, of course, as the entire dining room starts seeing all these rats. I was kind of a surprised that Sardis actually went along with that particular <laughs> plot point, you know, because... It's a little startling, yeah. Yeah. And Kermit and the rats all get thrown out onto the street. So our next scene takes place, of course, in Central Park. A- another scene with Kermit and Jenny. They just they seem to just kind of... They meet in various great spots in New York. And in this case, they're... Are they jogging? No, they're, no, they're first, um, they're gazing out onto the pond, you know, they're by Bethesda Fountain. They're, they're talking about life. What's the next part of your plan, Kermit? I don't think there will be. I feel like a phony. Then they do. They go for a jog with Miss Piggy chasing behind them and hyperventilating. She can't keep up with them, you know, because she's out of shape. And she's also dressed. She's not dressed for jogging. <laughs> no, so then at one point she stops, she puts her hand in gum, and then while she gets annoyed, she actually gets mugged, <laughs> which is kind of a horrifying thing to think about how many people in Central Park may have gotten mugged, and here it is, a beloved children's character. It's now happening to her. And we sh- it's not violent. She just get she gets her purse snatched. And she's like, oh, no, we see this thief. She looks around for a way. She obviously can't run after him. So no. she walks up to a roller skater who's sitting down on a park bench. And she says, can I borrow those? And it turns out, of course, that the roller skates, the roller skater is tap dancer extraordinaire Gregory Hines. <laughs> yeah, odd that he's not wearing tap shoes in this movie or, or even debuting or showing his skills in any way. But but <laughs> anyway, but well, he was a regular presence on in TV and film at this time. So he was just a character. There's a madcap chase through the rambles. I mean, they really shot that all over Central Park. And I can't imagine how Piggy was chasing somebody on roller skates through the rambles. Uh, That just seems so (laughs) unlikely. I mean, I guess where do we start with what's unlikely? But she finally tackles the the mugger and they haul him off. So then we get a scene where she is now back with Kermit. Mm -hmm. Reunited. Reunited. And they decide to go on a carriage ride through the park. We even get another scene of Waldorf and Astoria here. And Waldorf and Statler. Statler, sorry, Waldorf and Astoria. <laughs> Waldorf <laughs> and Statler. And then we get to a, a to a scene that we I want us to step past because it's the worst part of the movie. 
And that is, of course, the debut, the daydream involving the oh. Muppet Babies, who debut right here. It's clearly like this attempt to create a new franchise because they're all just baby versions of the Muppets, but only enjoyable, I think, if you're under six. You know, I wrote in my notes here, Greg, that's amazing. Muppet Babies musical number, not interesting. <laughs> I felt Sorry, the exact same way. Not- I felt kind of sick. You know, watching all of them doing baby voices and pushing yeah, back and forth. With, uh, well, ugh. so anyway, like, let's move past it. We're back at Pete's, and, and Picky is now a kind of Alice-style waitress at the <laughs> luncheonette, right? Yes. Wearing a matching uniform to Jenny's. Serving such customers as young supermodel and actress Brooke Shields. Yes, who Rizzo approaches and... Uh, what does Rizzo say to her? Do you believe in interspecies dating? I have gone out with some rats before. But, um, bum. Yes. Um, meanwhile, a postcard comes in from Gonzo from Michigan, where he's doing water stunts for a really <laughs> unimpressed crowd. He's doing like a water routine. And where at, Tom? Well, it's supposed to be in Michigan, right? Well, yeah, but it's actually Rye Playland. Oh, right. um, that historic amusement park overlooking Long Island Sound. So it was at the in the Playland Lake is actually where this takes place, which is awesome. Ripe Playland, by the way, to get to tie Tom Hanks back into this, would like four years later be, of course, the pivotal setting of the film Big with Tom Hanks. You know where he becomes a boy. Yeah, yeah. But then another letter comes in, and this one is from Bernard Crawford, the theatrical producer who is interested in producing Manhattan Melodies. So Kermit says, I'd better get over there right away. So we have a, we have a, a meeting with an important Broadway producer, Bernard Crawford. Turns out that it was actually his son, Ronnie, who signed the letter to Kermit. He wants to make his first producing debut, producing this, this show that he believes in, and he wants to take his first chance on Kermit. By the way, of course, Bernard Crawford was played by Art Carney, but the son here and the one that would sort of take the mantle of Manhattan Melodies and launch it onto Broadway would be played by Lonnie Price, who is another great Broadway star. Yeah, and they're really, they work well as a father-son duo. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) Art Carney is just full of so many wisecracks in this. I love it. I mean, he's so not interested in Kermit and Kermit's shtick. Um, And he even snarks, I'm allergic to amphibian singing. (laughs) And his son says, I want to try something different. And he says, then stick some jello down your pants. (laughs) (laughs) But dad does agree to produce, which is great. Yeah. And so they go back. Kermit has finally sold the show. He He gets back to Pete. He starts making calls. We sold the show. The producer wants to put it on Broadway. Tell Piggy she's going to be a star. I mean, it's this amazing moment. Calling people on pay phones, Tom. Yes. <laughs> this is a now historical artifact in these 1980s movies. And and sending, somehow also sending some of them telegrams, because it's a great montage of people like getting Western Union telegrams in their far-flung locales. He's so elated. He's on top of the world now. He steps out onto Broadway, onto the street, right in front of a taxi, and gets hit. Yes. No, a very, it's a very dark, very serious scene. But I will add, just of interest, if you're going to get hit by a cab, at least be hit by a checker cab. 
which was mm. which was the cab there, which was they had actually stopped manufacturing by this time. So this is one of the last survivors here on the street. I I do feel like if there is going to be a cab in anything Muppets related, it's going to be a checkered cab. It has to be, yes. It does, even if it's hitting Kermit for the sort of dramatic oomph of the entire ordeal. You know, then we see Piggy waiting at Pete's. She's heartbroken. She's scared. She, the hours have gone by. No Kermit. It's just not like him. Cutaways then to the whole gang getting their telegrams, telling them to get back to New York City. Now, then we're in the hospital scene. Kermit is laying in bed, and he's visited by his doctor, played by Linda Lavin. <laughs> oh, yes. Speaking of the Alice reference, here's yes. Linda Lavin herself making an appearance, not as a waitress, but as a physician. Yes. And I think she even makes a kind of like eggs and ham kind of joke. She says something about like, looks like somebody needs some breakfast. You know, so she does. <laughs> there's a little wink, a little Alice wink. But Kermit, it seems, is uh, he's suffering from amnesia. Fortunately, she's done some research into nudist colonies, and she <laughs> she has she's realized that he he is actually. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time spitting this up. <laughs> she has determined that he is actually quote Mr. Enrico Tortellini of Passaic, New Jersey. <laughs> he says, "Funny, I don't feel Italian." <laughs> He's he's very confused about his identity. We get, we get a quick scene, by the way, back at the diner because people are really like panicking now as to where Kermit is, and they're all talking over each other. But like at one point, they all stop talking, but Janice is still talking, and she says the line, "Look, buddy, I don't take my clothes off for anyone, even if it is artistic." <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry, I just had to... Now let's keep okay. going back to Kermit. Let's go back to Kermit, who now doesn't know who he, <laughs> he is. He doesn't know who he is. Linda Lavin has told him, listen, use it, you're, it's, you're hopeless, but why don't you go out, find a job, and make a new life for yourself? Mm-hmm. So, so he heads out then, and b- let's just say he winds up with a job in advertising on Madison Avenue. Okay, totally by accident, but he happens to walk into an office that's full of ad frogs. Phil, up. Oh, I'm Jill. You know Gil and Bill. <laughs> and so Jill and Gil and Bill and Phil, they all work for an ad agency that's pr- promoting Ocean Breeze soap. So mm-hmm. somehow within this just few hours, Kermit then becomes employed by this company. Doesn't say much about this company if they're just hiring him off the spot. But. Well, they, but you know, they initially express interest because they're looking for somebody who represents the average, quote, frog on the street. And that's that turns out to be Kermit. So he he suddenly becomes an ad frog. But meanwhile, at the Biltmore Theater on West 47th Street, they have started putting up signs because Manhattan Melodies is going to open. It only has a two week turnaround and they've already spent a week, you know, sort of like Mm -hmm. looking for Kermit and coming back to town. So it's now a week before opening. And there's, you know, a montage of all the Muppets searching around Manhattan for the lost Kermit. The Beltmore, by the way, is uh, still there. The theater's still there. It opened in 1925, but today it's owned by the Manhattan Theater Company. On West 47th Street. That, and that is where, you know, in 1983, I did look up to see if they shot this in 83. 
in uh-huh. late 83, Doonesbury, the musical, premiered <laughs> at the Biltmore. I actually think Hair also transferred uh, to this theater. and It oh. does have some legit hits. And who knows, maybe Manhattan Melodies will join them. Well, speaking of Hair, which makes me think of the public theater. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Which makes me think of a chorus line. We have a quick shot in that montage of Scooter in front of the Schubert Theater where a chorus line is still... Uh, is still on stage. Still one of the biggest shows in Broadway history up to that time. That's right. Uh, we have the rat across the street from the Schubert in front of Sardi's. They must have shot those at the same time. Kermit, meanwhile, we see addressing a boardroom, you know, about Ocean Breeze or Ocean Spring or whatever <laughs> his soap is. Uh, sales are going up. So he's he's busy doing that, and all the rest of the Muppets are scouring New York looking for him, and you just get this excellent, amazing scene of just, like, Muppets in various New York places. Dr. Teeth in front of uh, Patients or, or Fortitude, one of the lions. Then we even have Gonzo heading uh, to, to meet up with the mayor. He goes to Gracie Mansion. Mm-hmm. And has the great line, Mr. Mayor, I'm looking for a frog who can sing and dance. And what does Ed Koch say? If he can also balance the budget, then I'll hire him. But I'm bound. <laughs> you know, Koch would actually do, like, during his, his mayoralty, uh, would actually do several appearances with the, with the Muppets. I mean, the Muppets are being a New York institution. It's not surprising, but... I, when Just Google Ed Koch and the Muppets, and you'll surprisingly see a lot of entries. <laughs> just saying. And yet, it doesn't seem that surprising. You no, know? no, no. Uh, finally, though, it's opening night. The Muppets are all around a table at Pete's. Maybe they should just cancel the show. There's still no Kermit. No, Kermit would still want the show to go on. But wouldn't you know it, Kermie and his colleagues... Kermit, who, by the way, still has amnesia, and his colleagues just happened to head into Pete's after lunch (laughs) after some big presentation. Yeah, I guess they made some presentation on the West Village somewhere. (laughs) So they stop in for Pete's luncheonette. They sit around the table, you know, something from the grill, Jill? No, fish makes me ill, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They sit next to the gang, none of whom actually notice that Kermit has just sat down with next to them. Or that a whole table full of Kermit lookalikes is sitting next to them. <laughs> uh, and then Kermit, let's just say, he sort of starts waking himself vaguely out of amnesia by by tapping his... I won't go into it, but let's just say that sometimes <laughs> yeah. he gets the attention of all the Muppets who look over and realize it's Kermit. And Piggy heads over, pounces on Kermit. Phil looks at uh, Jill and says, my, what friendly service. Uh, but <laughs> but Kermit doesn't, the problem is all the Muppets recognize Kermit, but Kermit doesn't recognize any of them. So Piggy basically says, look, Kermit, this is for your own good. Grab him. And they take him and they sort of like Kermit kidnap him, you know, and they just take him and they're going to put on the show with Kermit, who still has amnesia. Mm-hmm. And so we cut to backstage. Sure, yeah. So that's uh, so this is really our only final conflict, right? Because the show's about to start, but we don't have a leading man, right? <laughs> we don't have the star of the show. So how are we going? How are we going to get him back? Well, thankfully, through a little bit of physical assault, <laughs> pig on frog assault. While there is a completely packed house that is taking their seats and just filled with anticipation. They're backstage, and Piggy breaks it down for him. 
You are Kermit the Frog, and you love me, and you want to marry me. And Kermit looks at her with disbelief and says, With you? Wait till I tell the guys in marketing. Have I gone hog wild? (laughs) Are you going to bring home the bacon? And she... (laughs) She She's so mad, she karate chops him, and he flies across the room and lands on his head. So that's the assault. <laughs> and so in his, like, like memory-erased state, he's a jerk. Miss Picky hurls him across the room, and he gets his memory back. He snaps back into it just in time. I mean, like, Dr. Teeth and the orchestra are, like, warming up for the overture, you know? And he sort of snaps back into it. And then we cut to the big number with the final number. I'm right where I belong. It's uh, And just as the curtain goes up and they come in in their sequins in a chorus line with canes and sparkly top hats. I mean, it is a chorus line, basically a ripoff. And then it kind of like morphs into a number extra, extra. We see somebody's going to get married. It's a big chorus number. Kind of reminded me of My Fair Lady, you know, um, get to the chapel on time. The cast is, of course, the Muppets we've seen from the very beginning. But now there's all these additional Muppets that we've seen in all these various adventures. Of course, there's all the frogs, Phil and Jill and Bill. And then there's dogs. There's Rolf's dogs. Then there are the bears. So there's all of these different Muppets. And so then they decide that that what the show needs, needs, what it needs is we need more frogs and more dogs, right? So that all of a sudden, this is where we get the true Muppet Show cast, not just the core members. This is the entire troupe. Right. And that, and it's Kermit's call because he says, this is what the show's been meaning, missing. Everybody's going to be in the show. So like he does open it. He goes from fat shaming Piggy and being a jerk to being the most open frog ever. Really? You know, that's the Kermit we know and love. I know, just bringing people on stage unrehearsed, but we'll yes. just make it work. And they sometimes, and they do make it work. Because clearly this crowd of all humans is going nuts for everything they see on stage. I mean, these people can't get enough. They are maybe the same crowd we saw at the beginning of the show. This number ends, unsurprisingly, in a wedding scene. We are inside a chapel and it's an amazing thing. I know that there are some real like Muppet enthusiasts out there who have even recreated the seating chart. Of oh, this. yes, there is. Uh, is, it, is it more or less one side Sesame Street, one side Muppets, more or less? Or is it kind of mixed around? I So, so yeah, so you bring up a good point. The Sesame Street contingent, I saw them sort of bride side back. So if you're walking into the chapel, they'd be right on your left. They're easy to spot because Big Bird's there. And so I was sitting with my nearly three-year-old son, Julian, watching this um, yesterday. And, the you know, he was totally entertained by everything. Kind of knew who Kermit was. He didn't know who Miss Piggy was. He didn't really know the Muppets. But he still liked them. When we got to this scene, the sight of Big Bird made him fall off the sofa. I mean, he was like, he was so <laughs> happy to see his friend Big Bird. And and Ernie and Bert were there. And and he also screamed out, the Count, the Count is there. So yeah, the, the Sesame Street was well represented. And there's even uh, some members of Fraggle Rock there. Did you notice also all the pigs in space? 
They were, mm-hmm. the pigs in space were there. The gang's all here. Now, my question to you, Tom, is kind of wrap up both the, the, the our show and the, the movie here. Are we to believe that this wedding is part of the show? Or have we transitioned a smooth transition from the show itself to a kind of separate ceremony? Or is this kind of like a metaphysical understanding that together again, as a musical troupe, they are in fact like literally wed together? This is a point that Kermit kind of brings up for us. He introduces this concern, this, uh, this possible plot twist. The only human being we see on stage is the man who's the priest, right? Mm-hmm. And Kermit looks at Piggy and says, and they're standing up at the altar, and he looks at her and says, I thought Gonzo was going to play the minister. And so I think that we are to believe that this is for real. Uh, the priest starts the ceremony and sa- asks, do you, Piggy? Do you, Kermit? Piggy clearly does. Does Kermit? He's very hesitant. Everybody leans in. He finally gulps in that way that only Kermit can. And then he says, I do. And everybody sighs a big sigh of relief. The priest says, because you share a love so big, I now pronounce you frog and pig. (laughs) (laughs) And there is great celebration. There is great jumping. There, There are penguins flying through the air. And like a great late 19th century novel, <laughs> like a Jane Austen or an Oscar Wilde play, it ends in a marriage. Or I think, does Oscar Wilde end in a marriage proposal? That's a famous line. Anyway, it ends with our frog and pig betrothed until, of course, the next Muppet movie when they will we will have rebooted. <laughs> <laughs> it was all a be, dream. It was a show. Yes. And Kermit and show. Piggy lift into the sky inside a moon as the words, the end is written and the audience all applauds. And that is how we ended yes. Muppets Take Manhattan. So we hope that you've enjoyed our walkthrough uh, through New York City in the 1980s from the perspective and vantage point of the Muppets. There is actually the Museum of Moving Image. Hopefully they will be open soon. They have a Jim Henson exhibition that features many of the Muppets that were featured in this film. So it makes for an extremely enjoyable day in Queens. So please check them out. And also check out the website, BoweryBoysHistory.com. Greg, several years ago, you did an extraordinary post on the Muppets Take Manhattan and the filming locations around town. I'll include this post. I'll bump it up again so people can find it and look for it. So thank you for joining us on Patreon. We greatly appreciate your support in times like this. It is incredible. It's truly instrumental right now in getting our shows not only produced over on the regular show, but even getting you some bonus Patreon features here as often as we can. We have said it before. We'll say it again. We wouldn't have a Bowery Boys podcast uh, without your support. So thank you so much for letting us devote all of our time to producing the show.
So have a great New York week. And we'll see you at the movies. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.